Hi everybody, welcome to Lost Fuller's Church. I'm Chris, I'm the pastor here, and I'm just glad that you made the choice to join us for our services today. Uh, hopefully you had a chance to watch Aaron uh, during worship and just get a time, uh, a prayerful time of worship. And, and now we're going to continue in our sermon series. Uh, we started with Abraham and his descendants, and we followed them all over the place and through lots of adventures. Uh, last week we ended with them in Egypt, uh, actually just outside of Egypt in a place called Goshen. And, and they settled there because it's in the midst of a famine. And there were 70 strong when we left them last week. And we talked about Joseph, uh, Jacob's son, that went from slavery to prison to being second in command and saving an entire region of the world uh, from starvation, his family being some of those. And so here they are settled in Egypt. Uh, but before I get there, I want to talk about this idea of faith. Uh, faith is something we, we talk about a lot, that you know we're... We're people of faith, and, and faith is, is really believing in something you don't really actually see, uh, believing that something's real or true, even though we can't necessarily prove it. And, and so, so faith in God is something, honestly, I've never struggled with. It, from the time I was little, I, I, never, I never had this time of doubt that, oh, God doesn't exist. And Maybe I'm simple-minded. I, honestly, I've blamed it on that a lot, that I'm, I'm very simple-minded. And if somebody that I trust tells me something, I, I just believe it. I, I have faith in that person or, or what they're saying. And, and maybe that's not a good thing, but most of my life it has been a good thing. I've had faith. Uh, but I've also, in the last five or six years, gone through some pretty dark places. I've, I've gone through a pretty strong bout with depression. And, and I'm just going to say that Although my darkness, my place was not as bad as others, in that place you question a lot of things. You, you begin to question, and, and honestly, when you are in difficult places, when you're in dark places, it, your mind changes, your, your thoughts change, your life can change, your beliefs can change. And I think, really, there's, there's two things that can happen. The, the first thing is when you're in the midst of that, you, you can get angry. You can question, is there a God? Does this God love me? And you can, you can walk away from your faith. Or your faith can grow stronger. And I, I think that is where the Israelites are today. They're in this place of, of this darkness, and we're going to read it in chapter 1, where I think their faith is tested. It, they're, they're a brand new nation. <laughs> They're a group of people that, that are unique and strong, and we're going to discover that today. And so I want to dive right in to Exodus chapter 1, and I want to read to you verses 6 through 10. It says this, In time Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren, in fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. 
If we don't, and if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from this country. First of all, the, the Israelites, man, they God's blessing them. I mean, they are multiplying, and they're successful. They've always been shepherds. Going back to, to Abraham, they're shepherds. That, that's who they are. We talked about last week that their mascot is the lamb, right? That That's kind of the people they are, and they've always been successful. I mean, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, and, and now this whole family, they are successful, and they're growing more and more powerful. And you think about it, Egypt was a was a nation when when Jacob and his family came, and they were 70 strong. And so think about this. In a relatively short time, this family of 70 people now outnumber the Egyptians. And, and you notice they stay to themselves. They're not intermarrying with the Egyptians. Maybe there's some, but, but there's, there's a separation here. And so God is blessing this family with, with wealth, with power, and with lots of babies. <laughs> and then they are multiplying. Uh, but then this new king comes in, this new pharaoh. And it says he knew nothing about Joseph. Now, I, I would argue that he probably did know who Joseph was, had probably heard the stories of Joseph, but he didn't respect Joseph. In other words, he didn't know really who Joseph was. Now, because to the old Pharaoh, Joseph was, was amazing. Joseph had saved the country. But, but to this king, he didn't really know Joseph. And, and so all he sees is this is an Israelite. This is an outsider that, that we allowed into our country. And now look at what is happening. You remember, even in Genesis, even when the, the Pharaoh invites this whole family to come down, it, it says this in Genesis 46, Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, this is to Jacob and his family, for all shepherds are detestable to Egyptians. So the Egyptians did not like the Israelites. They, they were unclean. They were dirty. That You stay over there. We stay over here. I mean, this is this is racial profiling at its finest, right? But of course, it's it's a long time ago. It's thousands of years ago. So so here we go. We've got, we've got this kind of this racial thing happening, and the Israelites are over there, and now the Egyptians are starting to get a chip on their shoulder about these people that, that seem to be invading their space, their, their land. And so not only do they not respect them, do they find them detestable, but they're also looking at them going, they're getting too powerful. And we actually don't want them to leave. Now, I don't know if that's for tax purposes. I don't know, but maybe their farming and their, their shepherding was helpful to the Egyptians, but they didn't want them to leave at this point. And so here's what the Egyptians did. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced him to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. They made their lives bitter forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. And when I hear this, when I look at this, I go, this new pharaoh came in, and it's almost like a political campaign, <laughs> like in our country, right? Well, we've got to take care of 
people coming across the border. We've got to take care of this group of people or, or treat these people differently. I mean, it's this, it's this political thing that the Pharaoh came in and said, hey, we need to stop these Israelites from becoming too powerful. So they literally make them slaves. Now, I don't know how this happens, but it does. They put slave drivers over them and they literally make their lives miserable. And, and not only do they, do they make them do all this work, but they make their work even more difficult than it needed to be. And, and then at one point, as they continued to multiply and become bigger and, and stronger as a nation, the Egyptian leaders told the midwives. And so the midwives were told, hey, when you have a boy baby, I want you to kill it. You can let the girls live, but no more boy babies. We're going we're gonna to kill all of them. Well, the midwives... I mean, they're going into this family's home and they're, they're delivering these babies. Can you imagine? And so these midwives, first of all, they said, man, these Israelite women are different than the Egyptians. They're strong women. And they said, they give birth before we even get there. They're trying to make excuses, but they weren't about to kill these babies. And, and so the, the midwives were, were good to the Israelites. And then here's what happens. So God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. So now there becomes this, I mean, horrific scene. I mean, this is every newborn male is being drowned in the Nile. And, and the Pharaoh is very serious about this. And, and so now you've got the Israelite people who started as 70 people now have become more numerous than the entire nation of Egypt. Uh, but they're, they're in slavery. Uh, their babies are being killed. I mean, this is a time that God literally is blessing them because they're multiplying and growing stronger. And at the same time, they're being oppressed. This is a time of, of darkness. And, and, and honestly, I look at this and I go, why, God? These are your chosen people, right? These are the people that you, you appeared to Abraham and said, I have a covenant promise with you. I want to bless your people. I want your people to become no, more numerous than the stars in the sky. And then this. At the time of the biggest growth of the Israelite population, at just extreme growth, the same time they become slaves. This is a time of darkness. And, and honestly, it's a time of saying, why? Why, God? I, I mean, I... I Told you from the start, I've always been someone that has faith, right? Hey, God says it. It's true. The Bible says it. It's true. This person said it. It's true. Now, my oldest son, Grant, he often asks questions. In fact, when he was little, it got to the point it drove me crazy. I would say something, and it was never, oh, okay, Dad. It was always, why? Why? Just because, Grant, right? <laughs> Just because. I, I, I don't know. It just does. It just is. But, but Grant always wanted to know why. Honestly, I think asking why sometimes is uncomfortable. 
it, it puts people in an uncomfortable place because we just want to go, okay, let's just believe. Yeah, let's just trust God in this one. But I think here we can go, why, God? These are your chosen people, and, and you've literally put them in this place of darkness. And so I've got two questions to start with, and then another really big question. The, the first two are, why didn't they leave? Now, why didn't the Israelites leave when the famine was over? And the second thing is, why didn't they leave when Joseph died? And so there's two opportunities. I mean, the famine's over. Your home's back in Canaan. Pack up and move. Or when Joseph died, why didn't they move? Now, I think things were good for them at that point. I think maybe they became comfortable in the land. Even living someplace five years, you get comfortable there, don't you? And, and so when the famine's over, they're like, hey, things are going pretty good here. Let's continue working here instead of packing everyone up and moving back. And so they stay. And, and then Joseph dies and things still aren't too bad until the new Pharaoh comes in. But at that point, they're just kind of settled into their lives. And, and this is just me guessing. But, but I want us to hear what Joseph actually told his people before he died. It's found in Genesis 50, verses 24 and 25. Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath, and he said, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. So Joseph seems to know that they don't belong in Egypt. And, and even his bones, he says, when, I, when you leave, make sure you even take my bones from here and put them in the promised land where they belong, where we belong. But he seems to also know that the people aren't just going to pack up on their own and go, yeah, it's time to go home, that they're going to need God to show up and usher them out of the land. Maybe it is that they've just settled in. So let's go back to Jacob, to Israel himself. If you remember, he was in Canaan. And then because of the famine, he moves his whole family down to Egypt. And that's a big task with just 70 people. It's a big task to get everyone moved down there. But on the way, he stops at a place called Beersheba. And if you remember, God has made promises at Beersheba to Jacob, to even to Abraham. And so there's a place here of significance in Beersheba. And, and there, God speaks to Abraham in a vision. And this is what he says in Genesis 46, 2 through 4. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And so maybe maybe Jacob told this to Joseph, that, hey, man, it's all right that we come and that we stay because God's promising Israel here that this is where you're going to become a great nation. And, and don't be afraid to, to be there because guess what? I'm going to be with you while you're there and I will bring you back. And, and now, this isn't the first time that God has made this, this promise 
to this family. He started with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. It says, Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. Now, just get this. Where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. So both to Israel, or Jacob, and to Abraham, God not only ordains this, this move and this stay in Egypt, but he allowed it. He planned it. In fact, this is where you're going to become a great nation. I, I, I don't, in my mind, I don't understand that. And that's why I'm asking this question, why? Why, God? Well, why couldn't God just leave them in the land of Canaan? Why couldn't, why couldn't Joseph somehow have saved the entire country from the promised land? Why did he have to go through all these dark times to reach this pinnacle of being second in command and saving Egypt and saving his own family? But why do they have to go through 400 years of slavery to become a great nation? Why? 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 And maybe God is like I was with Grant up there going, oh my goodness, it's just the way it is. But I don't think that's the way God is. I think God has a plan in everything that happens in our lives, even when it looks like this, even when it looks like, God, what is going on? You remember one thing I'm reminded of is when Jacob was about to meet up with his brother Esau. And for all Jacob knew, Esau was going to kill him because he had tricked him early on in life and stole his, his blessing. And, and so he's thinking that his family and himself, that they could all be killed the next day by his brother Esau. And that entire night, Jacob has a wrestling match with God. And, and all night he struggles with God. And in that struggle, God himself changes Jacob's name to Israel, which means to wrestle with God or to struggle with with God. And so obviously when you look at that story of Jacob wrestling with God, struggling with God, it tells us, just the name the Israelites tells us it's okay to ask why. It's okay to say, God, I'm struggling with you. But this situation, this isn't just a struggle or a time of being down. This is oppression. This is darkness for 400 years. And, and you look at this nation of Israel, and, and they get their start. They get their biggest growth in a time of oppression. They're being blessed, but they're being oppressed at the same time. And you go, why, God? I, I honestly, I don't have the answer. <laughs> I don't have the answer. But I do, I, I look at the beginning of the New Testament, and here comes Jesus into the world. And you have Jesus, three years of ministry, and then Jesus is, is ex executed, comes back to life, and ascends into heaven. And what's interesting is there's only 120 people, followers of Jesus, that, that were there with him at the ascension and then in the upper room. It's a very small following compared to the world, right? You, you look all the way back to Egypt, 70 people showed up in Egypt, right? 120 followers the time that Jesus leaves the earth. And, and Jesus entrusts these people with this amazing message of salvation. And then 
persecution begins. The, the government hates this little movement that begins. And so as the movement begins to take off and grow, it's, it is amazing. And, and the world begins to kind of, well, hate the Christians, uh, although they're growing like crazy. And not just in one area, they're growing all over the world. I mean, think about how amazing that is. And, and, and the more they're persecuted in the early church in that first century, the faster they grow. It was literally a movement. If you remember, Jesus told his, his disciple Peter that I'm going to build this church on you. And the word church, ecclesia, was literally the move. So this movement exploded on the first century culture. And as it just kept growing and the momentum kept building, it was met with persecution. It was met with, with abuse. It was met with oppression. It was met with killing their leaders. Every one of Jesus' disciples, except for one, was killed. And, and, but as they died for their faith, were murdered for their faith, the, the movement just kept exploding. It grew. So Christianity grew the most during times of persecution. It spread throughout the world. They were blessed, but they were oppressed. I, I just look at our physical bodies. We were designed to be stressed in life. In fact, when we go through stress, we get stronger, right? Building a muscle. You literally tear the actual muscle when you're lifting weights or doing things to, to an excessive amount that you tear the muscle. That muscle repairs itself and it grows stronger. So every time it, it faces the, this oppression, right? That this tough moment, it tears, it's hurt, but it grows stronger. It, you know that I love cold water. When you get in cold water or ice baths, it feels miserable. But it, your vascular system literally is growing stronger. If you don't exercise, your muscles grow weak. If, if you don't exercise your vascular system or your lungs or your heart, those things will grow weak. How do they get stronger? They get stronger by facing opposition, by going through times of struggle. Uh, there's all kinds of research on the mental side of things. Uh, that basically when you go through times of trauma or emotional stress, uh, that, that you can come out of that stronger mentally uh, with improved memory, with improved thinking, with improved uh, problem-solving skills, with improved attention. But the difference is how you face it, right? The decisions you make and what you choose to think about in the midst of that decide how you come out of it. And then there's the spiritual side of things. I mean, what happens in our spiritual life when we face persecution, when we face trauma, when we face tough situations? I believe it all depends on how we face it, how we think about it what we think about as we go through it. You think about the Exodus. This was the lowest, darkest point for the nation of Israel. And yet they grew strong. They grew in number. They grew in strength. Even physically, they're doing labor that made them physically stronger. Now, I know this is a whole nation, and it's not an individual. 
But I really think we can look at this nation of Israel, these chosen people of God, and you have to go, obviously God allowed them to go through this. He didn't spare them from it. And part of me goes, why, God? But then the other part of me goes, oh, yeah, you are strengthening them. So if we just use the example of the Exodus, and we just look at chapter 1 of Exodus, and we compare it to our own lives. I think there's three things that we can walk away from this with. And number one is we grow the most when we are in these dark places, when we are going through trials in life. Listen to this. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. As they're being oppressed, they are growing stronger. The second thing is that we are promised that God will be with us, even in these dark places. What did he tell Abraham? Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. God did not abandon them in Egypt. God doesn't abandon you when you're going through the trials of life. God is with you, and he will go with you into it. He will come out of it with you. God is with us. That was his promise. And then when we walk out of these times of trial, these dark places, depending on how we went through it, I believe that we can walk out stronger than we have ever been. Our faith can be stronger than it's ever been. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. Just think about this nation that became slaves. They walk out of Egypt stronger than they have ever been. They went in 70 strong, a good, healthy family. They walked out a powerful nation. I believe that we can take these principles and we can apply them to our own lives because we all go through dark times. We all have trials. And I believe we have those because God is more concerned about us in eternity than he is about us in here on earth. He wants us to be strong. He wants our faith to be strong. And he wants us to know that he is going to be with us every step of the way.